This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. One of my first interviews for this podcast was with Beck, who is a gestational surrogate and gave birth to baby Holly in 2016 for her intended parents, Steve and Jen, who live interstate. In this episode, I interviewed Steve, who lives in Canberra with his wife and Holly, and he was able to give me lots of insights into his experience as the intended father in a heterosexual relationship where his partner is unable to carry a baby. We also talked about the challenges of being intended parents where your surrogate is interstate and has her own needs and how Steve, Jen and Beck have worked towards having an ongoing relationship after the birth of Holly. I'm going to hand over now to Steve. My name is Steve. I live in the ACT with my lovely wife Jen and our beautiful two and a bit year old daughter Holly. We're IPs from the ACT and um, we've created Holly with some very special help from an egg donor and a surrogate, both who we didn't know prior to starting our journeys. Um, Holly was born in 2016, healthy and happy. Um, and our, our, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a couple, um, our infertility issues started well before uh, Jen and I were, were together. Jen's had a very long history of endometriosis, started sort of just after that, um, after puberty and so she's known for a long time there's going to be some really big challenges in in, in, um, in, in, in uh, carrying a child and and uh, we fast forward through some things where we've uh, Jen had some eggs frozen and she'd uh, she'd had her ovaries removed because she had one ovary in a streak and then fast forward again Jen and I meet each other it's beautiful we fall in love Jen's very upfront with me from the beginning saying look you know I know that you're the sort of person that would like kids. I need to let you know that it's going to be a challenge for us. Um, that was okay. I was okay with that. Um, I, I was just, I, I was fine with that. I didn't know exactly what that meant at that point in time, but I was okay with it. I was, I, I was in love with this beautiful girl and I want to, I want to make this work. I'm, I'm up for the challenge. So we then tried a round of IVF with her frozen eggs. That didn't work. Um, we did make some embryos, um, but they didn't, the one that was transferred didn't take. It was a one-shot scenario. So following the sort of the grief and loss after that, um, Jen eventually had a total hysterectomy uh, purely because it was um, the best thing at the time after, you know, many, many surgeries to sort of get on top of her endo. It was really affecting her quality of life. It was preventing her from working and, and actually just enjoying her own life. And as I said to her at the time, I said, look, you know, we've got to deal with the lives that we have at the moment, um, pre-children pre becoming parents. And then we just found out, then we obviously were on the path to egg donation and surrogacy. We, back then, it wasn't as, um, I guess you'd say, it wasn't as common, wasn't as topical, wasn't as well publicised. There wasn't as many great um, support people and groups um, on, on social media like there are now, and it continues to grow, which I think is really great. Um, but because Jen had been seeing the same fertility specialist or her surgeon uh, gynecologist for so long, um, he was actually able to sort of point us in the right direction. He actually, um, well, he, he actually was one of the co-founders of Sydney IVF back in the day that eventually turned into Jenea. Um, but anyway, uh, 
so he put us in the, he put us on the sort of the right path of all those some seminars and things and we went to seminars we went to uh one of the earlier surrogacy conferences in melbourne i'm guessing it was 2014 perhaps um uh but i'd, I'd have to check for that but uh, anyway we went there and Back then, as I've said to people at the conference in Sydney that just gone this year, there was, um, I think there was about two or three surrogates at that particular conference. I think I was told there might have been 30 or something at the uh, conference in Sydney this year in 2018. So that just goes to show over time what this, what you know, what, what the word of mouth does and um, people start thinking, wow, that's actually possible, which I think is a really, really important thing because, um, you know, a lot of people are surprised that you can even do these things, I guess. So anyway, we, we then um, had a Facebook page back then because we didn't have the, we weren't in the other forums around as large. We had our own Facebook page. Uh, a lady in Bundaberg contacted us via that page, just, and it was just amazing. And at this stage, we still needed an egg donor, but we were just contacted by a potential surrogate first. We formed a great relationship, you know, sort of did a bit of online dating. She was in Bundaberg, we're in NTT. We then did the trip up there, flew to Brisbane, drove from there, Brisbane up to Bundaberg, met her and her family, got along really well, um, had a lot of, you know, sort of, um, not necessarily similar interests, but definitely similar values. And that sort of made us made us connect really well. Um, and then we're sort of on the, this path of, wow, we've probably got a, We've probably created a, a bit of a team here where we can, we have you know the us as IPs and we have a, a surrogate. And this woman had been a surrogate uh, previously and birthed a healthy little girl, so she'd been through the process, which we felt really comfortable with because we were so fresh. Um, then fast forward a little while, and we got a phone call from her stating that she was unable to go ahead because of her own medical reasons. Um, that's obviously a, you know, it's a bit of a blow, but in the same conversation she said, oh, but I've been in contact with somebody from one of the forums that I think that you'd get along really well with. Um, we, we were then in contact with this person. Um, this person's name is Beck. Um, Beck's actually was your first mm. podcast, Sarah. So, um, hey, Beck, when you listen to this, <laughs> uh, and kids and CC, um, and uh, yeah, and then we sort of started sort of you know speaking speaking with Beck over the phone and FaceTime and Facebook Messenger and all these sort of online mediums and you know eventually she lives down in sort of west of Melbourne and we went down and met her and her family and it was it was kind of like um, how would I say it was kind of like like the timing couldn't have been I, I guess more opportunity or, or I guess perfect now we look at you know the beautiful holly we have and the relationship we have with, with Beck and her family but the timing like like we were you know, we'd been going on this journey like a lot of, a lot of other IPs for so long and you know been through some very big emotional ups and downs and it was having its obvious relationship stresses and all those things and then we got the sort of the the bad news good news of someone not being able to do it and meeting someone else and on the other side of that um Beck had been really just sort of, she'd only really just been, I guess, had that sort of light bulb moment of, I want to be a surrogate. I want to, I could, I could be pregnant again, but her husband, Peter, at the time didn't want to, wasn't ready to have that, that fourth child at that point in time. So 
we were kind of we're on one side it's kind of like a like it really is like a, a proper first state like it's like a where both people are wanting to be wanted in, in in that sort of sense they both want to make that that right impression so we're thinking well we want to be ourselves but hopefully we're the likable people that somebody would like to help and we can have a you know form a great relationship on Beck's side she used to say things like oh, I hope I hope I hope they'll I hope I'm good enough I hope they'll choose me um, and Beck's a trooper she's not good enough she's great she's wonderful um, but she was that was her sort of she was very fresh to it so not to cover things Beck said in her in her podcast but there was it definitely all happened very quickly but looking back, it all happened very quickly for, 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 the, for the better in the fact that we've actually learned a lot from, from those experiences. And I think that, um, you know, and as Beck says, she has no regrets and neither did Jen, Jen or I. And we sort of um, really treasure, uh, we, we treasure them as, as our family and our family friends. And being, you know, an eight-hour drive away, means we can't see them as often as we can but during the pregnancy we we traveled to d down to west of melbourne as often as as we, we could um as you can understand traveling down there involves usually staying a couple of nights so you just and on top of the expense surrogacy already is um so we were sort of you know forgoing a lot of things at home to do that which is totally fine but it's kind of as an IP, you'd like to be doing more. You'd like to just pop around with like a lasagna or something. You'd like to pop around and sort of go, hey, I'm just here to watch the kids while you sleep or do whatever you want to do. But you actually I have can't. heard that recently. Um, I've spoken to other intended parents who have reflected on that, that the interstate relationships can be really difficult in that, you know, you might be able to pay for a cleaner or you might be able to pay for food, but actually you just want to be able to be there and help out with the kids and help out with the, you know, kitchen and that sort of thing. That that can be really hard to manage when you can't be there in, in person. Yeah, and that's that's right. And look, we sort of, you know, and we didn't, we didn't actually sort of like pay for anything like that. We sort of, it was sort of, I, I think... Um, we we just like Jen and I discussed a lot of things like that, and we sort of um, like uh, Beck's response was often, "No, it's right. I'm okay. I've I've you know I've done this three times before. It's everything's all good." And, and I think I think I think in a way, looking back, and I didn't know it at the time, but maybe in Beck's you know Beck's just selfless attempts to just try and keep us IPs as happy and comfortable as possible actually sort of um she actually didn't necessarily she probably didn't she probably put her own needs aside uh, um possibly too much at that point in time looking back but and and it was very hard to read because when you're only going down you know you you just you're driving down eight hours you're staying somewhere two nights it's a very short window to sort of try and you know um read everything, do everything, and sort of pick up on any possible cues. It's a very short time. You're usually there, you catch up, you talk about just normal normal friends, catch up stuff, play with the kids. You know, we'd offer to sort of babysit a couple of times here and there. Um, but you can't, it's, you just can't sort of be just around the corner and just there. But, you know, look at, well, lessons learned from that, I think, is the most important thing. Lessons mm -hmm. learned that you share with other other 
IPs, other surrogates, things that, you know, hypothetically, if we did the same thing again with Beck and her family and did the same thing again, it, could, it actually can involve, like, a lot, lot more planning because you know what you're up against. Mm. So you can actually, and you've already formed a relationship, so it's kind of, well, I think there's a big difference and I think that's an important thing and I think it's either both acts are equally as awesome is that when people um, have, there's three things I mentioned, I guess. One is when people have, have when people act as surrogates for IPs that, that, are, that are friends or family, there is a very, there's already a very sort of strong and, and well-known and understood relationship there. So it's actually easier to, pick up on people's cues to actually read them, to actually cut through that sort of facade of I'm just going to make everything perfect for you and actually dig out those those real issues. When it's to people who were previously not known before then and have become friends and, you know, hopefully continue to be friends, um, you sort of, you know, you do, in a sense, tiptoe a little bit and it's not because you don't want to jump in and be you know, as supportive or as possible or dig out for those deep questions and really sort of, um, you know, don't want anything, don't have anything on, on hand. But it's a much harder place to be in. It's a much harder place to be in because you're learning about somebody. It's like in a relationship, it's, the analogy is like a relationship, like, you know, you see the memes of the first three months and it's the man's holding the door for his partner or, or she's this and she's that. Then it's like, you know, uh, for these fancy cooked meals and fancy home cooked meals, fast forward a couple of years and it's sitting in your pajamas having takeaway <laughs> watching telly. You know, it's just how relationships work. So, and I think that that's important to realise. The third thing I was going to mention is that um, there's, um, and as I said, equally equally as important and awesome. There's a big difference between um, uh, same sex, particularly gay men. Um, couples doing surrogacy uh, as IPs and heterosexual uh, people like myself doing it. And I, I think the world of both sides of any choice doing it or any orientation doing it, that's not the point. The point is, and, and Clinton said this to me, he described it well at the conference, is that when you have two gay men, all they have is hope. They quite well know that they're not going to carry a baby. They, they know they're not going to carry it. All they have is hope. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And it's really great. There's some bloody good dads out there. Um, when you're in a, when, when there is a, a woman that has, a, or all men, but in this case, sorry, a woman that has those fertility issues, um, there's a whole heap of heartbreak before you even get to that plateau where you can actually have hope again. So as the husband of a woman who's been through that, um, and something I've, I said it on the panel I was in at the conference is if you both want the same thing, which is to have a child and you have to you know, ride this roller coaster that is, is surrogacy and everything else, a lot of the fights that I found Jen and I had, and I'm speaking to other couples too, a lot of the fights that happen, if you step back for a second, it's because you're fighting about the same thing. You both want the same thing that much. It's just so passion-fueled. And it's really, really, it's really hard to sort of um, control those emotions. But it's important, I believe, to step back and say, do you know what? This is actually 
we're actually this is our goal. This is what we're fighting about. And you know, there's it's important, I think, to have just just to accept that you can't actually like I I accept very early on. I can't. I don't understand how Jen feels. I just don't. Like I I can. I'll be there for her. Um, we've had fights. We've had cries. We've had cuddles. We've had the whole lot. I don't know how she feels. But what I do know, and what kept me going, um, was the fact that. I could picture her and I as parents. She's the mother I want for my children. I don't care if we adopted egg donor or she got our children naturally. She's the mother I want for my children. She's the sort of person that I want to mother my children. And so that's that That was kind of my, I guess, um, reminder in the back of my head through everything. It was like, you know what, I'm so pissed off. I could, you know, it's... I'm so upset, I'm pissed off, I've had enough, I've just got to go do my own thing or whatever, like whatever thoughts or emotions I had, that's what I had to keep in the back of my mind, mm. that it was going to be worth it, it was going to be worth it. Um, Did you find that um, because you knew right from the beginning of your relationship that, Je that Jen may have trouble carrying, um, that you perhaps didn't have as much grief as somebody that... Um, that had to come through that after, you know, um, a lot of loss or cancer treatment, for example? Yeah, 100%, 100%, because my expectations, it's a little bit, it's a little bit similar to um, what I talked about, about the hetero versus, versus gay couple in a sense that, from what you've just said then, is that I was in a situation where I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't know how hard. I, first of all, I, had, I knew it was going to be hard. I had the hope of the Jen's own eggs working then had the grief of that and then climbed back up again for the hope of surrogacy. So there still was grief involved, but I think that's, that's also, again, different uh, to the grief of um, somebody who is um, through, through a cancer treatment or through some, you know, maybe a, a, an ectopic pregnancy or something serious where it's just happened, you know, quite quickly or, or out of the blue. Um, after you've been making those plans to carry naturally, etc., I, I think in my sense it did help because I didn't. I didn't have. I'm not going to put a measurement on grief, but I think that my grief was um, less of a shock. Uh, I guess in that sense. So does that make it easier for me in that sense, or did what would I think it would? Yeah, I do. I think I think it does, and I, and I feel very you know, supportive towards and strongly for those that, you know, of all different stories in that sense. Did you feel that you, you talked earlier about, you know, wanting Jen to be the mother of your children. Did you feel any sense of grief knowing that you needed to use an egg donor? Um, look, it's, you know, not, not hugely. And I think in a sense, in a, in, in a sense, I think some of me not feeling some of that grief was because I wanted to be strong for Jen, because I wanted to be strong for her. So I could sort of feel grief through that. But, you know, Jen also works in, um, in childcare. So she's an early child, works in early childhood education. So, you know, I know she's great with kids, but I also know her, her value system and that, that it's her value system. That's the thing that I, that I really want. In sort of in Holly, you know, it's 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 in my view second to none. Um, so, 
I didn't have a lot of, like, I felt for Jen in that sense, but I wasn't concerned about it for myself. Because I used to, <laughs> as much as it sounds funny, I used to give Jen, I used to say to Jen, and I've said this many times to her, I used to say, Jen, I said, what about a dog? I said, you're not, you're not you didn't give birth to that puppy because you're not a dog. But when that puppy comes to your front door and looks at you and says, are you my mummy? You pick that puppy up and say, yes, I'm your mummy. And all of a sudden, you've got your best mate with you for life because that's what, you know, that's a relationship. Um, and look, kids are no different. Maybe some dogs are more obedient. But anyway, that's all good. Um, but yeah, so I used to give that little story to Jen to try and lighten it up a little bit. But it's, um, you know, it's, that the grief of Jen using an egg donor wasn't a, a big part for me. It was just a matter of, it was a matter of fact. Mm. Um, so, so I know Beck talked a little bit about the post-birth relationship. Um, how was it for you and Jen after you, you uh, welcomed Holly and then went back to the ACT? Um, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was awesome. Um, it was, it was sort of, in a sense, it was quite surreal. Like it's, it's hard to sort of, it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit like sort of, um, it's a bit like working really, really hard for a very, very long time. Just, just putting your emotions out and just, and it's sort of in a daze. If you look, if I look back at it now, it's like it seems like those big days. And then all of a sudden, you've just, you just start living in a dream. Like you've just come back with this child you've worked so hard for. You know, so many people have worked hard for. And you're, in, and you're in a bit of sort of, you're in a bit of sort of a dream. And when you'd been, you know, through the pregnancy, talking to Beck so often and going down and seeing her when we can and, and missing that and being all so good, we've just sort of come back and we've, you know, we've got a newborn child and, you know, friends and family here after, you know, after we can come back up, we stayed down there for a week, which was not just important, I think, for Beck, it was important for us too because we wanted to make sure that as much as we could that she was okay and, you know, it was very important for her, her kids to also see little Holly and especially her daughter who has three brothers, it was important to see the little girl. But um, we, you know... I think one thing Beck said, you know, maybe she sort of felt felt forgotten and, and you know, I, I would love to go on the record and we've told this too. Beck was, Beck was never, ever forgotten in that sense. But I think when you go to speaking so often to just having bang living this dream and it's all just like, you know, pinching yourself, is this real? Uh, and, and you've got a newborn, obviously. Um, you're not sort of... Speak, you're not speaking like every day like you did or every second day like you, you're not sort of in that in that sort of cycle um and then and then also too there's kind of a a, a part there where I, I think we need as parents particularly you know particularly if i think about jen because we're you know, using a donor one of her biggest fears is about, is about bonding with the child like she used to say like what if what is this, what is that? And I used to always refer to the puppy analogy and try and sort of, you know, be supportive but line it up a little bit. And it's important, like I think for IPs, you really sort of have that really strong bonding time, especially for, for, for the donor, 
um, if it's a, a donor child because that that bonding issue is not it's something that's common. It's not Gen Gens are the first nor the last to experience that. Um, so so it was really important for Gen Gens to really have that sort of bonding bond, bonding time um, and and being on one sense being to state. Um, the distance, I think, is a good thing in, in on one sense, um, because that way you both can we can create our, our own family, um, you know. And, and Beck can also go back and focusing on, you know, her kids. She's just you know given up so long of her life to help us make our family. Her kids are important to us, but more so to her. So she needs to be there, you know, the whole hundred percent of her needs to be there for her kids as well. Um, so I think that's in distance in a sense is good for that where it would be nice to be able to just you know have have the funds or or the you know proximity to jump in the car or just jump on the plane and go down and, and see someone that's also important too because it's not the it's not the it's not the big bells and whistles you know here of I've just spent three years knitting your freaking quilt which is lovely but it's about the I, I think and I think Beck does too and Jen does and Pete it's about the little things, like you know, just, just, just being out. Oh, it'd be cool if you could just randomly just knock on the front door and say, "Hey, just pop in for a cup of tea. How are you going?" Mm. Just stuff like that. Like we had our our three our transfer, which I kind of dubbed anniversary. Then realised how that sounds. But anyway, <laughs> we had our anniversary on um on I believe it was Monday. Um, and we last week we posted back a card, but good old Australia posted got there today. But that's okay. Beck got that card today, and we spoke to her about it on the, on the Monday anyway. And we got a message off Beck just today saying, you know, how lovely just written the card. And Holly had written on the card, and Holly put it in the gave it to, uh, put it in the post box. Jen picked her up, and Holly said, "This is for Auntie Beck. It's for her birthday." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, and Beck's replied to that. You know, just that just made made her day. And she's sort of saying that's the, that's the sort of stuff that you know that she does, she's that selfless person for. So I guess if, if you had that close proximity, you can just do just those small little things. Whereas when you're so far away, you always feel like it has to be something big. If you're only going down once in a while, you've got to try and make it this big production, so to speak. Um, mm. Looking back, no, it doesn't have to be that. You can still do lots of little things in a short time that, that do add up. Yeah. Do you have any reflections for intended parents who are considering surrogacy as an option? Like what, what advice would you give them to try and make it a positive journey? Um, my first bit of advice to anybody, and I've actually, I have given this advice before, is research. Do your research. Like, it, I mean, I work in project management, so doing, um, doing a project lifestyle is pretty sort of natural for me. But it's important. Make it like it has to. It is a project, and the all um, a project will, will succeed or fail um, in the planning phase. Right, simple as that. It will succeed or fail in the plan. So your planning is about doing your research and knowing what you're up against, and and that way you can. It, it could be financial preparation, mental preparation, um, mental and emotional preparation. It could be logistics it could be lots of different things but do your research and i think that 
there's a lot of re- there's a lot of really good stuff out there you can research. I mean, I know that you've you know you've got your own stuff that you've published too, Sarah. But do do your research and make sure that you're prepared to to do that research. That's in my view the most important thing. And and I think where that helps, it gives it can give you or your so. So, for example, with our situation, Jen, you know, had she had more of it. She had much bigger grief cycle and very, very, you know, some pretty bad sort of depression swings in there and things like that. So, I took on the I took on the project manager role, and so I did all the research and all everything else, and still informed her, and that was good. That comforted us in knowing there was a process and what's involved. And when you're, when we're speaking to Beck, we're also able to tell her and her husband, hey, this is what's involved. Like this is. Now, I've done this research, so it comforts everybody um, possible, and it also I think helps with even some appointments because you know you're going in there saying, "This is what I need out of this appointment. I don't need you to tell me something for two hours. I already know. I just need this." Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, when people charge by the hour, that's pretty handy. So research is the biggest bit of advice I'd give. The other piece of advice I would give um, would be to. Um, be prepared and this sounds really harsh this sounds really harsh but be prepared for failure is the other bit of advice I'd give and that's and I say that because I want everyone to succeed being prepared for failure is similar it's just what it's just a contingency and it's important because if you're prepared to fail then you're definitely prepared to succeed and I'm not like because it's not, and you don't say failure. Failure is not not an option because if you don't choose to fail, but be prepared for it. So, what does life look like if you've just gone through six years of trying this? What does life look like on that seventh year if this doesn't work? Because you still have yourself and your partner and, and your friends and family to, to to look after and support. So, be prepared to fail. But I wish everyone the very very best. I wanted to thank Steve for speaking with me and giving his perspective of their surrogacy journey. If you would like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook and at sarahjefford.com.